Part One of Exploration Beyond the Upper Nepian in 1798 by R. H. Cambage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Exploration Beyond the Upper Nepian in 1798. Read before the Royal Australian Historical Society, October 28, 1919, and reprinted from its Journal and Proceedings, Volume 6, Part 1, pages 1 to 36. This paper deals with two journeys made on foot by small parties sent out by the direction of Governor Hunter in 1798 under the following circumstances. A number of Irish prisoners had been led to believe, to use Hunter's own words, that there was a colony of white people at no very great distance in the back country, a hundred and fifty or two hundred miles, where there was an abundance of every sort of provision without the necessity of so much labour. Finding it difficult to convince them to the contrary, Hunter decided to allow them to select a few of their own number to make an attempt to reach this desirable land, and he sent with them from Parramatta some soldiers and a guide named John or James Wilson, a former prisoner who had later spent much of his time in the bush among the blacks, who had named him Bumboi. As soon as the party reached the foot of the mountains, probably somewhere between the Nepian and where Picton is now situated, the Irish prisoners decided to return, and they were brought back by the soldiers. Wilson, however, with two others, continued the journey. One of Wilson's party was a lad whose name was probably Barracks, and whom Governor Hunter described in a letter to Sir Joseph Banks, dated August 21st, 1801, as follows. This young man went out with Captain Hunter, a boy, and one of his servants. As he grew up in that country, and became pleased with travelling through the woods, he solicited permission to go upon the excursion then intended, and as he could write, he was instructed to enter in a paper the observations which their journey might suggest. He is an intelligent lad. In his diary, the lad refers to the third person as Roe. David Collins, formerly Judge Advocate and Secretary of the Colony, appears to have interviewed the lad after his return to England, and wrote an account of this journey, and, from the lad, Collins writes, the particulars were collected. Wilson and the lad also went a second journey, accompanied by a man named Collins. It is not known whether the notes were made throughout the day as the journey progressed, or whether they were written up each evening, possibly the latter, or perhaps even at greater intervals. It is clear, however, that after the party returned, a clean statement of both journeys was written out, and handed to Governor Hunter, who later presented it to Sir Joseph Banks. This journal, written in a clear hand on double sheets of foolscap, roughly fastened together with a piece of red thread, is now in the Mitchell Library. Although it has been supposed in a general way that the party reached the Wenger-Caribbee River or the Wallandilly west of Moss Vale, or even the Lachlan in their first journey, no detailed account by an investigator has ever been given of the route taken in either journey, nor have their journeys been previously unravelled. Having given attention to this matter for a number of years, I have endeavoured in the present paper to locate some of the landmarks referred to in the lad's record along the route, and am satisfied that several of them have been identified with a high degree of certainty. 
the method adopted in interpreting the journal has been to give some reasonable weight to the direction quoted, to accept the distance in a straight line as being usually little more than half that quoted, and, from local knowledge and the ordinary laws of bushcraft, to pick out their track among the physical features referred to such as hills and streams. The latter method has been regarded as the most important of the three. Apparently, at the time these journeys were made, due credence was not given to the veracity of the story, otherwise it would not have been necessary to rediscover the new country then found by this party. My investigation of the lad's journal satisfies me that he gave a true and faithful record of the expeditions in so far as his knowledge enabled him, and some of his entries, though quaint and simple, are very expressive when the point of reference is understood. The Journal January 24th, 1798 Course, South-South-West Left Mount Hunter for about twelve miles till we fell in with the Nepian River, where the rocks run so steep it was with great difficulty we crossed them. The rest of the ground run very scrubby. We saw nothing strange except a few rock kangaroos with long black brush tails and two pheasants which we could not get a shot at. Distance 18 miles. Mount Hunter is situated about five miles southwesterly from Camden, and although they started off in a south-southwest direction, the hills on their right, including the well-known Razorback Range, gradually pushed them eastward until by night they had reached and crossed the Nepian River somewhere below the junction of Carriage Creek between Douglas Park and Malden. Although they had travelled in a circuitous direction for a stated distance of 18 miles, their direct distance from the starting point was about 8 miles in a direction south by east. The rock kangaroos referred to were, in my opinion, what we now know as rock wallabies, Petrogale penicillata, a few of which may be still found in the locality, while the pheasants were lyre-birds, Menura Superba Discover Salt January 25th, course south-south-west The country runs very open, good black soil. We saw a great many kangaroos and emus, and we fell in with a party of natives, which gave a very good account of the place we were in search of, that there was a great deal of corn and potatoes, and that the people were very friendly. We hearkened to their advice. We altered our course according to their directions. One of them promised that he would take us to a party of natives which had been there, but he not coming according to his promise, we proceeded on our journey as he had directed us. In the course of this day we found a great deal of salt, distance six miles. This day they appear to have spent considerable time discussing the position with the natives who were, as usual, ready to reply in the affirmative to any leading questions asked them. The entry in regard to the discovery of salt is of interest and is dealt with in connection with the second journey. The party appear to have travelled southerly, passing about three miles west of Wilton and to the east of the Round Hill, until they again crossed to the left bank of the Nepian. The good black soil spoken of consists chiefly of the Wianamata Shale formation and has long since been cleared and occupied as farms. January 26th. Course west-south-west. The ground run very rocky and brushy so that we could scarce pass. We crossed one small river, the banks of which were so rocky and steep that we could scarce pass it. Distance 16 miles. 
on this day reference is made to the presence of an animal which quote, wilson called a wombat w h o m b a t t fascolomis micelli another animal which the natives call a cullawine c u l l a w i n e which much resembles the stoths in america probably the native bear fascolarctus cinereus which was formerly common in the district and a pheasant it seems likely the lad intended to call the american animals sloths it is difficult to follow their course on the twenty sixth possibly the river mentioned is the bargo which would answer all the conditions if crossed near its tributary horns creek to the east of buxton where they would afterwards reach somewhere towards balmoral or it may have been cow creek a tributary of the nepion the statement that there were wombats near where the small river was crossed is of interest but mr george wilkinson of bargo informs me that within his knowledge wombats were to be found up to about thirty years ago both at cow creek on the east and near horns creek and the bargo river on the west of the bargo district to have crossed cow creek however party would have had to travel about south instead of west southwest though this is not a fatal objection as the course set out in the journal was not always adhered to and according to my interpretation of their journey they did travel southerly on either the twenty sixth or twenty seventh january twenty seventh course west southwest the ground still runs very rocky and scrubby for about six miles then we came to a fine open country but very mountainous we crossed one small river where we saw plenty of coal and limestone and the banks of the river on the other side runs very steep and a very high mountain and within about two miles of the top runs very scrubby intermixed with many vines and particularly at the very top and on the other side we saw a very fine meadow flat country with many kangaroos and emus the timber runs very thick and short and scarce ten trees on an acre distance sixteen miles on this day they possibly travelled through portion of what is known as the bargo brush and the small river they crossed would perhaps be the head of the bargo to the north-east of collo vale but i am by no means clear about their movements on this and the previous day according to collins the lad spoke of having seen black wattles acacia decurrens on the twenty seventh these trees are very common towards the southern end of bargo but occur around mittagong also they would have found it rocky and scrubby for the first four or five miles after which as the shale area is entered the country becomes more open but mountainous and forest or catherine hill some five or six miles north-easterly from mittagong and which they probably crossed reaches two thousand one hundred and ten feet above sea level from the summit of forest hill under which the railway deviation from picton to mittagong which was opened on july thirteenth nineteen nineteen now passes there is an uninterrupted view over the lower country as far as the eye can reach towards sydney which is suggestive of the possibility that they may have regarded this as a very high mountain between bargo and forest hill alpine are the remains of two inns still to be seen lupton's inn was on portion sixty five parish of bargo on the eastern side of the main road and was occupied from at least eighteen thirty to the sixties while portions of the walls of kieran's inn are still standing nineteen nineteen on portion one hundred and forty four parish of collo on the western side of the road 
and just on the eastern side of the railway line as recently deviated. The site of this inn was surveyed by surveyor Robert Hoddle in 1829, and is the inn mentioned in the New South Wales calendar for 1832 as having been commenced at the Little Forest. The entry that they saw, plenty of coal and limestone, has caused me a great deal of trouble. At the time this journey was made, limestone had not been discovered in Australia, and coal at Coal Cliff only the previous year, nor has limestone since been found in the district under discussion. But as on the second journey they mistook cyanite, commonly called trachyte, for limestone, and a kind of marble stone, they were evidently mistaken in their identification of some rock they saw. The question of the coal, however, causes greater concern, for these men had all come from England, and it must therefore be presumed, would have been able to recognise coal. Apart from my own local investigations, I have discussed this matter with Mr. J. E. Kahn, Government Geologist, and Mr. L. F. Harper, Geological Surveyor, and am of opinion that there is no outcrop of coal east of the railway line from Picton to Mittagong, excepting that towards the coast at Illawarra. It occurs, however, some miles to the westward of the railway line, but if the party had gone sufficiently far in that direction to meet with coal, the entries would have indicated much rougher country than their present notes imply, and their subsequent movements would not have accorded with the journal on the following day. There is a small outcrop of decomposed coal about one and a half miles north of Mittagong on the headwaters of the Natai River, but if this be accepted as the coal discovered by these explorers, it is impossible to harmonise the description of the country they afterwards passed over with what they would actually have met with beyond this point. In places around Forest Hill there are extremely dark bands of Wianamata shale, similar to those seen near Douglas Park and Picton, and in the present state of our knowledge it looks as if one of these may have been mistaken for an outcrop of inferior coal. On the other hand, if the various discoveries were not written up on the spot as they were made, they may not be recorded in their proper sequence, which would make it possible that their coal was just north of Mittagong, while the cyanite, trachyte, of the jib, Gibraltar, was mistaken for limestone, although Barracks writes of both the coal and limestone as having been discovered at the small river. In regard to the vines referred to, it may be mentioned that there are no jungle vines, such as are found on the coast, anywhere in the district, but small ones occur in various places nor is there any brush as generally understood, the Bargo brush made famous in the old coaching, bullock dray and bush ranging days, being simply a thick forest of eucalyptus trees with a scrubby undergrowth growing in poor soil. Cassitha, Dodder, vines are to be found in the gullies at the head of the Bargo, and these are always difficult for the pedestrian to negotiate. Smilax glycifilla, sarsaparilla, also occurs there. The top of Forest or Catherine Hill, which is composed of good shale soil, and over the summit of which, close to the Trigg Station, the first road to Bongbong passed, has been mostly cleared, but in places vines of Clematis glycinoides, Hardenbergia monophylla, and the straggling snake vine, Hibertia volubilis, may still be seen. Also, Acacia binovata and Pittosporum revolutum plants, which are somewhat rare in the district, and which indicate that the flora of this hill differed from that of the surrounding areas. Collins mentioned that on the 26th the party met with a prickly kind of vine, 
This was probably Smilax australis, a coastal vine which is growing around Mittagong and Baural with Eustrephus latifolius, and would be likely to occur in the Bargo district. The entry in regard to the mountain is somewhat ambiguous and reads, The banks of the river on the other side runs very steep and a very high mountain. Whether there was a gradual ascent from the bank of the river to the top of the mountain referred to, or whether from some point, perhaps Forest Hill, a high mountain could be seen, is not quite clear. If the latter, then the high mountain would probably be the Mittagong range. If we accept Forest Hill as the summit referred to by the expression, and particularly at the very top, then the rest of the entry accords with what would be found on the other side of that hill. For a descent is made into meadow-flat country, in which kangaroos and emus would have abounded in the early days, and in 1832 an inn had been built there known as the Kangaroo or Cutters Inn. This meadowland is situated around the small district of Aylmerton, a few miles easterly from Mittagong, and about a hundred years ago was known as Canambagel, C-A-N-N-A-M-B-A-G-E-L, Plains. This name was recorded by Surveyor W. Harper on May 21, 1821, when surveying in the locality. Commissioner of Enquiry Big, in his report on New South Wales, refers to the spot as Kenembegels, K-E-N-E-M-B-E-G-A-I-L-S, Plains. Canembegel was a native chief of considerable renown, and would have been in the district when barracks and party passed there. He was referred to by Ensign Francis Borellier as Canembegel, C-A-N-A-M-B-A-I-G-L-E, on November 7th and 8th, 1802. When speaking of a native who joined his party between Menangle and Picton during an expedition to try and cross the Blue Mountains, Borallier writes, The mountaineer called Bungin was an inhabitant of the south and had left the Canambagel tribe because they wanted to kill him. Borallier says that Bungin wore a cloak made of skins of animals. Governor King spoke of the chief as Canabigal, C-A-N-N-A-B-Y-G-A-L, or Canamichael, C-A-N-N-A-M-I-K-E-L, and mentioned that George Cayley, a botanist, had seen him when the sable chief was visiting the cow pasture natives, about 1802, and King writes, Cayley describes Canabigal and his tribe or family to be a stout athletic band, far surpassing the other natives in height and stoutness. On March 9, 1818, when in this locality on his expedition with Hamilton Hume, which culminated in their discovery of Lake Bathurst on April 3, 1818, Surveyor James Meehan wrote, Tent at Mittigong at the south end of a plain of swampy meadowland. These flats were occupied in 1821, for on May 21st of that year, Surveyor Harper refers to Chalker's Hut on Portion 82, Parish of Mittagong, and in November 1830, Surveyor Robert Hoddle records the presence of Cutters Inn on Portion 73, on the site now occupied by the boys' home number 8. Pass Mittagong January 28 Course west-south-west The land runs much the same, the timber thin with a good many stringy bark trees, and a little further we saw a number of meadows and a hundred acres of land without a tree upon it. Here we saw a party of natives. Wilson run and caught one of them, a girl, 
thinking to learn something from them, but her language was so different from that one that we had with us that we could not understand her. We kept her all night, but she cried and fretted so much that the next morning we gave her a tomahawk and sent her to the rest of the natives, which were covered with large skins, which reached down to their heels. Here we came to the top of a fine hill in the middle of the day and took a view of the country. We saw nothing very promising. The land seemed open, few trees. We saw to the southward a few high mountains, but good land towards them. To the westward we saw a brook down the country, which we supposed to be a river, which seemed to run northwest from southeast. The land seemed very high to the southward, but still an open country, distance twenty miles. The party evidently travelled along the western side of Canambagal Plains, and here stringy bark trees are still to be found. It will be noticed that the catching of the native, keeping her all night and releasing her next day, are all entered under the one date, thus showing an absence of accurate sequence. Collins speaks of the party capturing a native woman and child, and writes, Wilson, understanding something of the language of these mountain natives, hoped to have gained some information of the country from this woman, but she could not comprehend him. From the entry in the journal, it would be supposed that the explorers had a native in their party, but from what Collins writes, it would seem that Wilson was the interpreter. From these meadowlands, the explorers appear to have travelled more on the course they were striving for, viz. west-south-west, and they may have passed close to the present town of Mittagong, and possibly through the gap onto the hills westerly from Bowral to the north of Oxley's Hill. They could also have reached the same spot by crossing the Mittagong range to the southeast of Gibraltar, the Jib. From one of these hills they evidently saw something of the Wenjakarabi River, to which they refer, though it is difficult to pick out the course of the river from any of the hills in the neighbourhood, although a depression in the mountains is visible near its junction with the Wallandilly. The presence of this river seems to have decided them to keep to the right, so as to avoid the rough walking which their experience had already taught them would probably be their lot if they kept close to the banks. Their course during the afternoon probably took them past moorlands, and on towards the head of Joadja Creek, as will be understood from the entries made the following day. There seems some reason to suppose that Wilson had visited the rough portion of the Wenjikarabee previously, and was therefore aware of its rugged nature, especially in view of an entry made on March 19th, during their second journey, which is referred to later. Crosshead of Joadja Creek January 29th Course west-south-west we steered our course for about four miles, but the country did not turn out to our expectation, for here we fell in with the heads of creeks, which seemed to run towards the river which we saw from the hill before mentioned. The ground ran rocky and scrubby, and we saw falls of water in the heads of the creeks, one about forty feet high, and two more about twenty feet high. Here we altered our course to the north for about twelve miles, thinking to cut off the heads of the creeks but we fell in with more. So we came to the resolution of steering our former course west-south-west, finding the country to run rocky and scrubby. Here we saw another sort of timber. The leaves are lighter than a powder blue. The tree is low, much like an apple tree, the bark much like a mahogany. 
we here saw in the creeks many pheasants and rock kangaroos likewise dung of animals as large as horse dung but could not see any of them we had nothing to eat for two days but one rat about the size of a small kitten i myself was very sick and wished myself at home again the other man was sick like me for he had hurt his leg and was not able to walk wilson was well and hearty distance twenty four miles in this day's entry there are two items of the greatest importance in assisting to identify the locality viz the existence of waterfalls and the trees with leaves lighter than powder blue we have also to remember that the party never crossed the river to which they refer the creeks they met with and which caused them to turn northwards were evidently flowing to the southward and consisted of the upper branches of joadja creek which flows in its lower portion through a deep almost inaccessible chasm once famous for its kerosene shale into the wenjakarabi river the waterfalls near mitagong on the natai waters are in streams flowing to the northward the first branch of joadja creek is met with just past the ten mile post on the mitagong wombayan caves road while vainly searching for waterfalls on this stream i was advised to consult mr george armfield who directed me to waterfalls a few miles on and situated in wanganderi creek a tributary of joadja and which crosses the road near the fifteen and a half mile post this waterfall is about one and a quarter mile south of the road and below mr hugh smith's residence and measures twenty-seven feet including falls and cascades but to the untrained eye deceived by the great gorge into which the water descends it might easily be regarded as being from thirty-five to forty feet undoubtedly this appears to be the waterfall near the head of the creek which the explorers found in seventeen ninety eight and which was recorded as about forty feet high about a quarter of a mile above this fall is a smaller one the cliff face being about ten feet deep though the water does not fall so far on the next tributary known as basin creek are many small waterfalls and probably one of these, as well as the smaller one on Wanganderi Creek, may have been roughly estimated by the lad as being about twenty feet. The entry signifying that the party travelled to the north for twelve miles to avoid these rough creeks may be understood to mean that they kept bearing to the north of west for many miles. After heading the Joadja tributaries and before reaching the spot where the Wombayan Caves Road now passes through a tunnel in the solid rock, the party again resumed approximately their former course which would have taken them somewhere in the vicinity of portion eight parish of bullio we next come to the interesting observation in regard to another sort of timber with powder blue leaves collins mentions that the blue referred to was that used in washing the tree in question can be no other than eucalyptus cinerea often known as the argyle apple or silver-leafed apple and the fact that these explorers noted it as a new species especially on this day when they were so fatigued is highly creditable to them as close observers the lad's simple description of this tree portrays it most accurately in going from sydney along the main southern road this species is not met with until the ninety-four mile post is passed ten miles south of berrima or just beyond the house known in the old coaching days as the black horse hotel but is common towards Marilan and Taurang. It also occurs around Mandama on the north side of the Winjakarabi River, 
over the junction of Joadja Creek, but to the left or south of where the travellers passed. No waterfalls are encountered between Baural or Mittagong and Mandama, except very small ones such as those on Cordo Creek. Having traced the explorers into this neighbourhood, past the head of Joadja Creek, it became necessary for me to prove the presence of the Argyle apple at this spot. To my first inquiries, negative replies were furnished, but later, through the kindness of Mr. Percy C. Cordo of Bullio, undoubted specimens of this eucalyptus were forwarded, having been found by Mr. William J. White, on and between portions 8 and 9, parish of Bullio. I shortly afterwards visited these trees, and found that the locality was still the home of wombats, although these nocturnal animals are also found around Joadja Creek. Rock wallabies had been abundant at this spot, though since destroyed, and lyre-birds can be heard in the gullies every morning and evening. From all these combined circumstances, no doubt can be entertained as to the approximate location of these explorers on the evening of January 29, 1798. Reach Terminal Point of Journey January 30th Course West-South-West the country still rocky and scrubby. We fell in with the head of a river very near as large as the Hawkesbury River, which seemed to run from north-west to south-east. The banks were so steep we could not get down them. The other side seemed open, but the banks very steep. Wilson proposed making a canoe, but the other man and myself were so faint and tired, having nothing to eat but two small birds each, we were afraid to venture on the other side of the river for fear we should not be able to procure anything to subsist on. Likewise our shoes was gone, and our feet were very much bruised with the rocks, so that we asked Wilson to return. Distance 16 miles If the party had travelled a little over one mile south by west from any spot near portions 8 and 9, parish of Bullio, they would have reached the high right bank overlooking the Winjacarabee and would have seen that from this point onwards the river had a general westerly trend, though a little inclined to the south. The journal says the river in question seemed to run from north-west to south-east, but Collins quotes the direction as from south-east to north-west, and we may accept this as correct, for no river near this locality flows to the south-east. The course the explorers took from near portion 9 was probably a westerly one, which at the end of five miles in a straight line, or a mile or two more as they walked, brought them on to the right bank of the Wollandilly River, overlooking its deep valley, a mile or so below its junction with the Wenjikarabee. They probably had a distant view of the meeting of these two streams, which prompted the remark that they fell in with the head of a river. The general course of the Wollandilly below this junction is north-westerly for seven or eight miles, or to the locality now officially known as Baralier, just below where the Wombayan Caves Road crosses the river. The lad correctly describes the other side of the Wollandilly when he says it seems open, but the banks very steep. In fact, the height from the bed of the stream to the top of the steeply sloping hillside must be from 800 to 1,000 feet, though in many places it is only thinly timbered. The geological formation in this locality is granite and porphyry, and this yields a less scrubby but more grassy vegetation than the sandstone areas over which they have been travelling from the Nepian, and this feature is what called forth the remark that the other side seemed open. 
if the party had descended to the stream, they would have found it possible to cross on foot at certain points, and that a canoe was unnecessary. The terminal point of this journey may therefore be regarded as being on the hillside overlooking the Wallandilly River at Bullio. The explorers now decided to return, and it is likely they retraced their steps for several miles the same day, for hungry men would have no inducement to remain where they apparently were unable to get food. We now come to a very difficult portion of the journal to interpret, chiefly because the entry for January 31st is missing. There are four possible explanations. First, that the record was lost and in its absence overlooked. Second, that it was forgotten January had 31 days. Third, that they rested. Fourth, that they retraced their steps over the same ground and had no entries to make. My view is that the last is the correct explanation, although we have evidence that in those early days mistakes were made in regard to the number of days in a month. Ensign Borellier, an educated man, when returning from his exploration beyond Borogarang, has an entry for November 31st, 1802. We can consider the position in the light of the following day's record. The Return Journey February 1st Course, southeast by east About seven miles' walk we fell in with many meadows, with scarce any trees upon them for near two hundred acres together. The hills also very thin of timber and very light. The ground good, except on the tops of the hills, which were stony. We were very weak. We could not get anything to eat but a few small birds. We fell in with two birds, which Wilson said he had never seen before in the country, and he was fortunate enough to shoot the cock and hen in one of the meadows. They appear to be something like a cockatoo, intermixed with a green, white and lead colour, the cock with a scarlet head. Distance 20 miles. There is no suggestion in the above entry that they were only commencing the return journey on February 1st, whereas when they turned back on the second journey, after quoting the course as the reverse of what they had been travelling, the entry reads, we did not see any better way back. If the party had left the Wallandilly on February 1st and travelled southeast by east for about seven miles or less from near Bullio, instead of reaching meadows, they would have become entangled in the gorges of the Wenjikarabee River. It seems quite evident that they retraced their steps on January 31st and passed the Joadja Creek waters. Then on February the 1st, after passing along near Hurdle Range and Bendule, they reached the comparatively open country to the northeast of Berrima, and this would seem like meadows compared with the class of country through which they had travelled. The new species of bird which they recorded was undoubtedly the Gangang, Calocephalum galeatum, which inhabits the locality to the present day. Discover the Bongbong District The remainder of the journal until they return to Prospect is all included under date February 2nd, but it is mentioned that they travelled six days successively. The first portion of the entry is as follows. February 2nd, course, east-northeast. The country still runs very fine, full of large meadows and some thousands of acres of land, without any timber upon it, except here and there one tree, and some very large lakes of water some three miles long, but saw no birds of any kind about them. I have carefully investigated this entry, 
and am satisfied it refers to the country around Bongbong, between Boral and Mossvale, and up towards the Winja Caribbee Swamp. The lads' figures may be exaggerated, but there are very large areas of swampy meadowlands with here and there one tree. The lakes referred to were large long ponds formed in the Winja Caribbee River, where the stream was blocked or dammed by swamps which impeded the flow. We have evidence that these ponds in sluggish streams were sometimes called lakes in the early days, for surveyor W. Harper refers to several lakes in the Medway Rivulet, one which he noted on May 30th, 1821, or 23 years after the explorers were in the district, being where the present road from Moss Vale crosses the rivulet at Sutton Forest. The matter is made clear, however, by Collins, who speaks of ponds of great length having been discovered, and does not mention lakes. That large ponds existed in the Winja Caribbee River when it was discovered by these explorers in 1798 may justly be inferred by the entries of subsequent early recorders. Surveyor James Meehan, twenty years later, when about a couple of miles above the present Bong Bong Bridge, wrote as follows. 10th March, 1818. Marked a gum tree on the edge of a large flat meadow, without trees on, with a chain of deep ponds, through which, I suppose, forms the source of some of the branches of the Warragombe. On the following day, when going downstream towards the bridge, Meehan wrote, The river full to the banks, which are very low. When a few miles above the present bridge, on May 22, 1821, Meehan made the following note, The river lost in swamps and ponds. In the New South Wales Calendar, 1832, page 95, is the following passage. The proposed township of Bong Bong is situated on a remarkable bend of the flat which forms the channel of the Winger Caribbee. But here the river, save in times of flood, has no decided bed or continuous current. In the course of time, a channel may be cut which would, by confining the upper part of this river, afford a supply of running water, drain the swamp at the head and the soft lands about Bong Bong. It may be of interest to mention that Meehan, on March 10, 1818, refers to a spot about two miles northeasterly from the present bridge as Toombong. The note being as follows. On the range which we passed, about 1 p.m., there is some good land, but appears to be mixed with stones. It is called Mittigong Range. Our present station is called Toombong. When writing two days later of a place about one and a half miles southerly from the bridge, his entry reads, The natives call this place Boombong. Two years later, when at the latter locality, he wrote, Boombong, Wednesday, 19th April, 1820. It would seem not unlikely that from these three slightly different names, the present name of Bongbong has been evolved. In writing of this district in 1818, Dr. Charles Throsby refers to the Winja Caribbee River as the Winja Carupper, W-I-N-G-E-C-A-R-R-U-P-P-E-R. On May 31, 1828, surveyor Robert Dixon refers to Gibraltar Rock as Bowral, which is regarded as the native name. The name Moss Vale is of more recent date, and its derivation is known to many in the district as having originated in the following manner. When the railway reached the locality in the 60s, a name was required for the railway station, and as the only person living in this particular valley near the present Spring Street, 
was an old man named Jemmy Moss. The valley or vale was named after him. Mr. N. H. Throsby informs me that Moss lived close to the spots now occupied by the residence of Mr. B. H. Payne. Distant View of Cookbundoon Range The entry of February 2nd proceeds as follows. This day we had a view from a high hill, which made us better judges of the country, which was rocky and scrubby. "'Twas clear and open land from south to south-west. "'The land appeared high and good, "'and to the south-west we saw two large ridges of mountains "'with two heads with the appearance of the entrance of a river between them, "'which we supposed to be the sea-coast. "'We saw to the northward and westward "'many hills of those which appeared rocky, "'but to all appearance more open to the northward. "'In the latter part of the day, "'after we had got over the first ridge of mountains,' we fell in with a vast number of kangaroos. Here we were fortunate again, for Wilson killed one of them, which was a great refreshment to us. The two headlands the party saw to the south-west, which they supposed to be near the sea-coast, are formed by a break in the Cookbundoon range, through which the Cookbundoon river flows, and may be seen from several hills around Borel and Moss Vale. Governor Macquarie, when ascending the Mittagong Range from Bongbong on November 3rd, 1820, also noticed this headland appearance, and wrote that he gave the name of Barnard Ridge to a remarkable headland southeast, should have been southwest, RHC, of us 36 miles, and which connects with Cockbundoon Range in honour of Mr. Barnard of the Colonial Office. The two abrupt terminal points in the Cookbundoon range, standing above the lower country adjacent, certainly appear like headlands in a distant view from the northeast. But on a closer approach, or when viewed from other directions, the appearance changes. Turn towards home. Reference is next made in the journal to the fact that Wilson and the lad thought they heard two guns fire, and the subsequent entry reads, we here came to a resolution of returning, for Wilson here came to a part of the country which he knew, and a very barren one, for we could not get anything to eat but a few roots and grubs, and they very scarce. Indeed, I thought that we must all have perished of hunger, which certainly would have been the case had it not have been for the indefatigable zeal of Wilson to supply us with as much as would support life for we travelled six days successively over hills and valleys full of rocks and no appearance of any animals or birds of any size so that we had no hopes of ever reaching back again being so weak that row and myself were scarce able to travel but on the sixth day we got through the rocks and made the forest land about ten miles from prospect which very much enlivened our spirits for we were all but starved and were obliged to cut up all our clothing to cover our feet, which was cut with the rocks. Enlivened as we were at getting good ground to travel on, and being cheered up by Wilson, who said we should soon make prospect, we then proceeded on our journey with all the spirit and strength we were master of, and to our great joy we reached the desired place a little before sundown. Distance 16 miles the remark that Wilson here came to a part of the country which he knew seems to indicate that he may also have previously visited the Bongbong district, for Barrington quotes Wilson as reporting in 1797 that to the northwest of the head of the Hawkesbury 
he came upon a very extensive tract of open and well-watered country where he had seen a bird of the pheasant species and a quadruped which he said was larger than a dog in their return from the upper portion of the wenjikarabi river the explorers appear to have travelled somewhere between or near the nepian and avon rivers which in parts is exceedingly rough country if my interpretation of the lad's journal is correct then hamilton hume was a baby in arms when the bongbong district was discovered though it was left to him and his brother to rediscover it in eighteen fourteen or sixteen years later the fact that these earlier explorers had previously visited the locality does not detract from the merit of hume's discovery the following information concerning the chief guide wilson is recorded by collins certain particulars concerning the natives were obtained through the means of one wilson a wild idle young man who his term of transportation being expired preferred living among the natives in the vicinity of the river hawkesbury r h c to earning the wages of honest industry by working for settlers wilson had made the natives believe that he was formerly a black fellow and had induced one very old gin to admit being his mother in order to employ wilson in some useful manner deputy surveyor grimes took him to port stephens and while there one of the local natives enticed grimes into the wood poised a spear and was on the point of throwing it when he was prevented by young wilson who having followed mr grimes with a double-barrelled gun levelled at the native and fired it he was supposed to be wounded for he fell but rising again he made a second attempt to throw the spear and was again prevented by wilson the effect of the second shot was supposed to be conclusive as he was not seen to rise any more mr grimes got back his boat without further interruption under date august seventeen ninety five collins writes wilson or as the natives termed him bumboi immediately after his return from port stephens with the deputy surveyor went off to the natives at the river under date august eighteen hundred or about two and a half years after the exploration to the upper wallandilly collins writes information had been received of the death of a convict of the name of wilson several times mentioned in the preceding narrative and who was better known by that given him by the natives of bumboi it appears that wilson had taken a black girl as his wife against her will with the result that her friends found opportunity to spear him at a time when he was unable to defend himself in order to do honour to the youth to whom we are indebted for the record of the first two important journeys towards the interior and whom governor hunter refers to as an intelligent lad i would suggest that if his name should be definitely established as barracks the waterfall on wanganderry creek be named barracks falls to perpetuate the memory of one of australia's earliest courageous explorers End of part one.